Who knows what an emoji is? Just in case you don't know. I think everybody knows. In case you don't know, it's pictures. Just little pictures. No, through all the advancements of human civilization, we went from cave paintings to art to written word and language and then back to pictures. So here we are, all this time later, communicating in pictures. But a lot can be communicated. So what we're going to do is I'm going to show you a string of emojis. And when you think you know what it is, it's a Bible story. I want you to yell out the Bible story that it refers to. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That's my brother over there. <laughs> Creation of the world. <laughs> Isaac, tone it down a little bit. I don't want them to. <laughs> okay, you ready for your next one? Yeah, that's right. Noah's Ark. Good job. Yeah, Ruth and Boaz. Good job. Okay. Elijah and the bears, you know. Hey, Baldy, I'll teach you who's bald. Yeah, Elijah and the bears. I did a sermon on that earlier this year, if you want to go back and listen to it. Anyway. Yeah, Jonah, Jonah and the whale. Okay, we've got a couple more here. Yeah, okay. There is exactly 100 sheep on this picture. They're just separated by one. Yeah, you're right. The 99 sheep. Leave the 99. Go get the one. Okay, last one here. Yeah. Death and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, very good. Uh, this is a, one of the only two crosses I could find. And this is supposed to be the rock that I got rolled away. Anyway, you guys did a great job. Give yourself a round of applause. The so Ruth one was the hardest. Trina, you got that one, right? No, she said Oh. Mm. Pastor's daughter. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> You guys did a great job. It's amazing what you can convey with a few simple images. The last one, Jesus' death and resurrection, is of a particular importance for us today. Well, it's of particular importance to us always. It happens to be the very center of our faith. It's very important. But it's particularly important for us today because it is a defining moment in Scripture. The life of Jesus, the, the Old Testament culminates, reaches its apex in the death and resurrection and glorification of Jesus. It is the pivot point on which the Bible, and I would argue all of history, swings. It is the door hinge on which everything moves. And it serves as a means of our salvation. It's proof that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God. It's evidence that God does and can raise dead people to eternal life particularly important since he's given us that promise too. We'd like to see that he's actually done it once or twice. He's done it at least once that I know of, Jesus. It also serves as this amazing example of dedication, obedience, and sacrifice for us to follow. 
As we saw last week, we're in the series, Live Full, Die Empty. We looked at how Christians have followed this example of dying for their faith all throughout history. We looked at the great persecution under the emperor Diocletian. Katie's paying attention. You don't need to really remember that. It's not that important. But one such Christian, a very, very, very early Christian who followed the example of Jesus, imitated him, was the Apostle Paul. So this morning, as we continue our series, we're going to be looking for Scripture to inspire us to live a full life, a full dedication, and pursuit of God. We're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul who imitated Christ and who we are to imitate ourselves. If you would, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, where we're going to see, uh, where we're going to spend most of our time today. A couple of important things to know. The book of Philippians was actually written uh, while Paul was in prison in Rome. Paul was awaiting judgment uh, to be tried by the emperor. And during that long waiting period, he uh, wrote letters and was still ministering to churches, even though he was homebound. And being unable to travel and being in prison, you can imagine that his life was really difficult during these years. I mean, it would have been hard to survive. Many people, uh, as recorded, came to Paul in Rome and helped take care of him. But even though he was in prison, he didn't stop ministering. Paul wrote the following words to the church in Philippi. It was a city, which is why it's called Philippians, to the church in Philippi. And he wrote these words to encourage them. We're going to just start in verse 1. Philippians 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Pause there for a second. So Paul is calling this church, and indeed this letter would be circulated to a lot of surrounding churches, and it's ended up here today in front of us. Paul is encouraging the church and us to prepare to mimic Jesus, to shift our attitude, to be different. And from this point, as we are going to continue reading, Paul is going to explain to us exactly the qualities of Christ that he wants us to copy. Okay? So let's keep reading with that in mind. Look at verse 6. He, meaning Jesus, already existed in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him 
the name which is above every other name. Pause there. So while this language is perhaps a little bit confusing, what Paul is trying to convey, the main point that Paul is trying to get across, is that Jesus emptied himself, humbled himself, and died to accomplish the will of God. And it wasn't an easy death. It was a long and torturous death on a cross. And it's because of this sacrificial obedience, this emptying of Jesus that he undertook, that God then fills him back up with the glory and honor and raises him to a place above everyone else. So Paul is building something here that's really important for us, some major ideas and a theme that he's going to be playing on again later in the chapter. So keep this in mind, this emptying of Jesus himself, because he's going to be pulling back on that. Go ahead and skip down to verse 14 with me. I included this just to remind us. Do all things without complaining or arguments. Just take that as it is. (laughs) Verse 15. So that you will prove... Why? So that you will prove to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. We have to remember that how we conduct ourselves is extremely important to how we share Jesus with others. How we act with each other reflects the love that we have in Christ. And if we do a poor job of that, it makes a poor example of our Savior. Look at verse 16. Holding firmly to the word of life, so that on the day of Christ I can take pride, because I have not run in vain, nor labored in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So Paul knows that he's coming to an end. He's getting older. He's imprisonment in Rome. He's going to go face the emperor for judgment. And the chances are it's not going to be a favorable judgment, which leads to execution. We're fairly certain that Paul died within a couple of years of writing this. So as Paul is coming near the end of his life, he's reflecting back on his ministry, especially the church in Philippi where he ministered for quite a few months on and off over the course of his life. He is saying that he can take pride in this ministry because his labor isn't in vain. He sees the Philippian church as a good fruit of his ministry. But he also says something about his ministry to the church, which is really important to our conversation today. I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. He's being poured out as a drink offering. Now, that might be a little confusing to us to imagine what is Paul exactly saying. But when we grasp it, It's going to be extremely powerful. And in order to help pull it into focus, we need to look at a couple of things. First, we need to look at the Old Testament practice of sacrifices and drink offerings. And that will help us understand what Paul means, because he's writing in that context. 
And then we need to look at the example of Jesus a little bit more so that we can form what Paul had in his mind as he wrote these words. So let's cover the Old Testament sacrifices first. So under the Jewish law, which Paul grew up as a Jew under the Jewish law, there were prescribed times when sacrifices were to be made. There were certain times of the year. Sometimes there were certain sins that you did that needed um, to be taken care of. There was also just a sacrifice for all the sins that you didn't know about but still needed to take care of. These sacrifices were sometimes animal sacrifices. There were sometimes grain sacrifices. And sometimes, accompanying these animal and grain sacrifices would have been a drink offering or a drink sacrifice, which was wine that was poured out over the altar where the sacrifice was being made. And these were burnt offerings. So you would throw the animal or the grain onto this fire and it would be consumed and burned. You can imagine the smell that it would have made when you have some roasting grains on the fire and you have some roasting meat on the fire and then you pour this nice fruity wine over the fire. You get this like smell, kind of like fullness, like a rich roasting meal. And as you pour like any liquid on a fire, you know, if you're a little kid, I used to like light fires and then put them out for fun. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but when you, if, as you know, as you pour any liquid on a fire, it smokes and it plumes, and a lot of steam comes off. So as you would pour this wine, this drink offering on these sacrifices, this thick cloud of this amazing smelling vapor would have been lifted up, and God calls that a soothing aroma to him. It is, it is this offering, the soothing aroma that cleanses the sin that allows for this forgiveness to take place. And it's something that God set up. It's something that God wanted to happen. It's this way that he said, I want you to communicate with me your sorrow, your grief, your repentance by going through these sacrifices and bringing the soothing aroma up to me. However, under the new covenant, under Jesus, these sacrifices were no longer applicable and animal sacrifices were no longer required. And so what we did is we saw the shift from the physical sacrifices on the altar to spiritual ones, which I think is even harder to wrap our minds around. What does a spiritual sacrifice even look like? We'll get there. So keep in mind, just keep in mind this image of this vessel full of wine being poured out on top of the additional sacrifices already there to make it more effective and sweet, make it more powerful and full. And then let's think about Jesus' example for a minute. And then we'll come back and combine the two. So we saw in verse 7, which is important why we read it, Paul says, Jesus emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant, of a slave. So while Jesus could have claimed power and authority, he was the son of God within his rights to do that, he could have kicked the Romans out of Israel. He could have called legions of angels who had had no idea What was going on? They would have been thrown out in a day. He could have shaken the earth at the command of his word if he wanted to. But he didn't. He emptied himself and became a servant to his followers and to other people. He became a sacrifice which bore the burdens of other people. Not only did Jesus metaphorically take on this role 
of a sacrificial lamb. Under the old covenant, lambs were sometimes sacrificed to cleanse sin. Not only did he metaphorically take this on, but he literally took this on by dying on the cross for us. His body was broken. His blood was spilled or poured out for us. So not only did he metaphorically or in an idea empty himself to become a servant, he physically emptied himself and died for us. That's why Jesus says things like this in Luke 22.20. This cup, this is at the Last Supper with his disciples, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When he died, that pouring out of his blood is represented in communion. But it was a literal pouring out. Jesus sees himself as an offering to be poured out. So Paul is sitting here, imagine Paul, sitting here writing this letter to the church, to the Philippians. And he sees this large sacrifice before him. He sees the sacrifice of Jesus. And he sees the sacrifice that the Philippian church is making, being persecuted for their faith. You know, it's not a popular thing to be a Christian at this point. He sees their effort and their willingness to follow God. He sees all the sacrifice that is being made. And he just sees himself on top of that. His sacrifice, like a drink offering being poured out on top of everybody else's sacrifice. To add to it. To make it bigger. He sees himself as a drink offering. To give everything he has Because Jesus gave everything he had. Because he saw the Philippian church giving it their all. At the end of his life, Paul realized that everything he can muster, everything he can give, is going to God and he's happy about it. He's joyful about it. Paul is pouring out his love, his time, his energy, his prayer on the Philippian church. He's not holding anything back. And that's what a spiritual sacrifice looks like. That soothing aroma, that sacrifice that we can see in the Old Testament physically, spiritually, it is pouring yourself out, giving to each other, giving to the church, giving to God's purposes. So Paul sees himself as a vessel, not for his own desires, his own wills, but one to be taken and poured out, creating a thick cloud of sweet vapor that rises to God as a soothing aroma. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It carries with it, I think, a certain kind of honor and sense of importance. But this pouring out, this drink offering, isn't the only time in Philippians 2 that Paul uses this language. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says this. There's a young man named Timothy who's um, becoming a leader in the church. and He's writing a letter to him on how to live properly and how to instruct other Christians He's near the end of his life when he's writing this, and this is what Paul says. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and at the time of my departure has come. He's talking about his death. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on my day, on that day. And not only to me, 
but also to all who have loved his appearing. As Paul is instructing Timothy, he realizes that he is given everything. Ultimately, what he's given is everything. But he also knows that his giving of everything, his being poured out as a drink offering, doesn't lead to his emptiness. He sees what is on the other side of that pouring out. The reward upon the arrival of Jesus. Paul sees that his path leads to a crown of righteousness that Jesus, on the day of his return, is going to place on his head and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come with me into eternal life. Paul sees the future, and to get there, he pours himself out now. And there's a few implications about being a drink offering that runs directly into the comfortable lives that we live today. Live full, die empty. The sermon series isn't made to make you feel good. It's made to push you. There's a couple things to think about. One, wine is this precious commodity, especially in the old world. It took months of hard labor and effort to grow the grapes in the first place, and then it took a lot of effort to crush them by hand into juice, and then it took a lot of time and effort to turn those into wine. Wine was extremely valuable. It is today, and it was especially then. So to pour out wine as a sacrifice, not even as the original sacrifice, but as an addition to your sacrifice, is an example of giving the fruit of your labor to God to the fullest extent, the fullest fruitfulness. Not only is it just grapes, but it's the fruit of the fruit, right? It is as far as you can go, giving everything, the highly refined, processed goods of your time and labor to God. Wine is therefore the representation of your accumulated effort and fruitfulness. Wine also, or uh, the drink offering also, is really unique in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, every single portion of an animal or grain sacrifice was saved and put away for the priest to eat. So the priest, God set it up this way, the priest didn't have their own jobs or their own incomes, So the sacrifices that were made to God, a portion of it would be saved and the priests would eat and survive and sustain themselves off of that. The only exception to this offering was the drink offering. It was the only thing that wasn't spared or set apart or reserved. When you poured out a drink offering, every drop of it, all of it went on the altar. None of it was saved. I don't think that is an accident then. That Paul uses drink offering to make his comparison to how he's living his life. Paul is pouring himself out to the last drop, not reserving or saving anything. That does not meet very well with the comfortable lives that we like to live. It is calling for a much higher amount of sacrifice in our faith than maybe we're used to thinking about. So let's summarize some ideas so we can walk away concretely set in the same path. We are vessels for God's work. When we make that commitment to Jesus to become a Christian, we are signing ourselves over to him completely. I tried to iterate the seriousness 
of what we're doing when we sign up to be a Christian last week. And I don't know if I can make it even any more clear this week, but it is a serious commitment. It is a full life commitment. It is one that calls us to empty ourselves, become servants of God and his purposes in the example of Christ. However, I will admit first that I do not live this way all the time, okay? There is still a lot of my will and a lot of my preferences that fight directly against what God wants me to do. But a part of spiritually maturing is, I think, looking more to God than yourself, to slowly become more of who God wants you to be and less of who you are. So do you see yourselves being available for God's use? Because how we see ourselves makes a big difference. Do we see ourselves as here to do our thing and our, our will? Or do we see ourselves as here to serve God in this moment in time? Do we see ourselves fulfilling our own purposes, or do we see ourselves fulfilling God's? Today we also learned that a drink offering is a complete offering. When Paul talks about Christ being emptied, emptying himself and being poured out, there is a completeness to those terms, right? It paints a picture, comes to mind, of something being completely exhausted in pursuit of a goal. I'm made uncomfortable by that. I really am. As a Christian, I've assumed the responsibility. I've signed up to give my life over. And there's sometimes I really don't feel like doing that. But then, in those times of stubbornness, the Spirit moves me and reminds me of this idea of a drink offering. And that helps me, honestly, it does, to make the right choice, the sacrificial choice. To do the things that God is actually calling me to do. And obviously, we still need to live our lives, right? We still need to go to work. We still need to take care of ourselves. We need to eat. We need to take care of our families. There's nothing wrong with doing that stuff. That's important that we do that stuff. But Paul also knew that his life was more than just what he could earn. His Paul, Paul knew that his life was more than just the clothes he wore or didn't have, or the food he ate or didn't eat. In fact, Philippians 4, in the same book that we just read out of, Paul says the secret to life is being content in what you have and relying on the strength of Jesus in every moment. So there is more to life than the things that we can see. That's something that we should remember. Lastly, we are able to give and to receive. Paul talks about his life being poured out on behalf of the Philippian church. And he tells them that they need to do the same thing. As it is so often in life, we go through seasons. There are times where we can give, where we should be giving. And there are times when we are in need and should be receiving. And we should do the giving and receiving with the same humility and openness and God-honorness that marks both. To give with humility is to receive with humility. To give with love is to receive with love. Have that attitude in yourself. That was in Christ. I think sometimes we can be really good givers, but we're really bad receivers. 
And on the other side of that, some, you may be stuck in a state of receiving, and you need to pull yourself out of it and ask, what is God asking me to give? As we close out this week, I want us all to think about our lives like Paul thought about his life, like a drink offering. And there are levels to sacrifice. And as we continue to find new joys and new levels of sacrifice, we will continue to grow. And God honors honors that giving. He honors when we pour out our lives. He sees our sacrifices as a soothing aroma. So, leave this week with this mental image. Your life is a drink offering to be poured out in honor of God. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for this morning where we can look at and truly appreciate what your son has done. I pray that you allow us to imitate him and the great leaders that we have in scripture like Paul who gave everything and followed you despite their own preferences and pressures. Give us the strength to be bold and to pour ourselves out in pursuit of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.